Älskar du den här podden? Stötta den genom IKAs nya supporterfunktion. Det är helt upp till dig hur mycket du vill bidra med och det finns ingen bindningstid. Klicka på länken i poddbeskrivningen för att visa din uppskattning och stötta podden. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did it get 30, 30, how did get 30, how did get 20, 20, 20, how did get 20, 20, how did get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Det här avsnittet av Onrodes podcast är sponsrat av Raider Power. Men mer om det senare. This is uh, this is quite early. Um, it's I can imagine. Yeah, I wasn't. I was kind of. I wasn't expecting anything to like six ish. Um, so I was like, yeah. It doesn't, doesn't affect me. I was just uh, surprised because I'm like, man, that must be fucking early for you. <laughs> yeah, I got up at six this morning. So it's now about 8 a.m. So eight in the morning. Uh, and we have, a, whoa, whoa, I think we said 10 and a half hours time difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's pretty early. I've got my breakfast. I've, I've, I've had a, a slow morning. It's, it's it's pretty good. And now I'm sitting here with you, Mr. Mr. Stewie yeah. Bryant. That's a... Uh... It's fun times. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, we're going to uh, just uh, get to know you a little bit better for, well, me personally and for our listeners. Uh, there are a lot of people who know who you are, but not exactly who you are and what you do. Yeah, um, well, I think, uh, I think uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a niche, niche what I, well, It used to be a bit of a niche, and now it's uh, become a bit more popular. The whole freestyle thing. Um, I think it's a lot of people still kind of uh, tuned into the the competition stuff mostly, um, which I, I do a little bit of as well. Um, but um, I think a lot of people are really getting on board this uh, this freestyle movement that's happening, and uh, I think it's awesome. Yeah. And and uh, why don't you like start with like who who are you and and what are you known for? Um, it's always hard trying to define, uh, define yourself and define what, you know, what you're known for. But, um, uh, I don't know, like I, I guess I just started from pretty humble beginnings, just started thrashing around, um, my streetcar and, uh, I think people just kind of started liking, I was just kind of going out there thrashing hard and the car get a little bit banged up, but, um, you know, it was just still part and parcel of it. And it was back in a time when, uh, It was all about having a presentable car, or at least, you know, you know, dents were seen as as really bad and and negative. And if you had a really dented up car, it was a it was a sign you're a bad driver. And I think 
um, after a while, people just liked the idea that there were people that were going out there, like myself, that were just going out thrashing hard and um, and really just kind of saying, eh, you know, going to get some dents here and there. It's going to happen and uh, we're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep driving. We're just going to keep having fun. And uh, there's a lot of negativity around at the time, but, you know, you got you got to figure out whether, you know, that's going to be what you're going to get caught up on if it's going to be the negativity or whether it's you're just going to keep doing it because it's fun and, and uh, yeah, so... Basically, you know, that's, I kind of did that for a lot of years in Australia. Started going to Japan where I really noticed um, what was essentially called the missile culture there where, I mean, you know, it wasn't just cars being, uh, it wasn't just cars that were being used hard. There was that. There was a lot of people with practice cars. Um, but there were also a lot of people relishing the idea that, you know, um, there was a subculture, man, that was kind of against the grain and, they would have these dented cars, but then they'd have these kind of rat rod like modifications um, to them. And uh, I took a little bit of inspiration away from that and kind of realized that, you know, it's a mixture of just driving a car and it just becoming dented for that, but also, um, you know, taking pride in it and just being like, yeah, you know, fuck it. This is the way my car is. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a lot, I'm going to make people laugh about it. And, and enjoy it and, and take the piss out of it. So, you know, just kept doing that. And I think people just, it was a lesser known, I mean, even like it had been around in Japan for years and decades and it's pretty much been there since this day dot. But in more Western side, uh, it wasn't as popular. Like people didn't really know about it and it was looked down upon. So, you know, we just started doing some, you know, cool stuff, doing, putting some cool videos out there and, um, People just started liking it. Uh, it was just a side of drift that I think a lot of people hadn't seen, but a lot of people identified with. And for a lot of years, like a, a lot of people come up to me and said, you know, like I like the idea of drift, but I couldn't really identify with a lot of it, you know, with the guys in the race suits and all the guys with the ridiculously low cars and the crazy camber and the style and the fitment and everything. It's just like I, I, I just like the idea of drifting, like just going out thrashing and being close and, a lot of people didn't didn't have any you know many things they could identify with because what was being pushed in their face was all the competitive side, all the um, you know style side, and um, and then I think you know the free the freestyle, the grassroots, the battle cars or missiles or whatever you want to call it. Uh, a lot of people just like fuck yeah, man, this is this is something that I can get on board and something that you know it's more attainable for me to do. You know, I don't have a hundred thousand dollars to spend on a um, car and go to, go to FD with, um, or or any of that. But I can go out and I can get a fairly cheap car and go out and thrash with my mates, have a whole heap of fun, progress my skills like crazy. And um, I think people just got on board with that. Um, just like it's it's not just the driving itself, but it's the idea and the mentality and the attitude behind it that you know you can go out there, enjoy yourself, thrash hard bump doors, if it happens, it happens, you know, you're not going to, um, you know, start yelling at the other person because they, you know, accidentally, you know, put a little dent in your door or something like that. You know, you laugh about it and you just focus on the enjoying enjoyment, you know, you, unless instead of focusing on the egos, the, the aggressive side and all that, you're, you're focusing on the enjoyment. I think that's, 
that's the key part of it, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, to start this whole thing off, like, were you always a, a car guy, or, or did you adapt to it? Was the who introduced you to it, or how how did it did it all get started for you? Um, I gotta say, like, I was always into cars as a kid, just just like normal uh, young boy, just liking supercars and stuff like that. Um, but I think what it was was Gran Turismo, to be honest. A video <laughs> I game. I think then. it was. Yeah, Gran Turismo. I think like I was into cars. I really loved, you know, all that stuff. And then uh, I bought. Uh, we actually bought it as a, I think it's Father's Day present or whatever for my dad. But realistically, we just played ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, bought it, and then I think that really showed me the Japanese side of things. Um, that really got me into GDRs and. Um, Supers and stuff like that. Um, I still wasn't really into drift at that stage, though. Um, but it got me into the into the Japanese um, import culture. So I started looking at all the Skylines and um, you know Mazdas and yeah, everything. I, I liked it all. Um, and then I started, you know, uh, I never really went through the auto salon phase like what we in Australia call auto salon, um, where it's more like the rice spec stuff. You know, the the big twenty inch chrome stuff like that. Um, auto selling is different in Japan, like, but in Australia, our auto selling was what we call like sex spec or, you know, like the, the real kind of, it's, well, it's, it's just the terminology we use in Australia, but it's kind of like the ricer stuff. Never really got into that. Like I always liked the tuning side of things. And I used to get like HPI DVD, DVDs, which are a local Australian magazine, just started watching all that stuff. And part of that was drift. So you get the drag racing, you get the street stuff, you get um, drifting, you get circuit, you get time attack, all that stuff. Um, and drifting was always a side of of that. So I kind of like would watch that, you know, sick, you know, loved it. Um, and then in Australia, drift kind of came um, late 90s, and but I started getting into it like the start of 2000-ish. So like, you know, it's in Australia. It really began on like some small circuits, street, uh, pretty much, and then it kind of grew to uh, a local bigger track, Malar and stuff like that. So I started going out just to see the cars I wanted to see. I just wanted to go out and see skylines, and um, that was just where the modified cars I liked were. I was in. I was never really into Australian cars that much. I was always into Japanese cars, and if you wanted to see really well tuned Japanese cars. You go to drift to see it. That's where most of them uh, were. So I just kind of got into the scene through that way. Um, I didn't have anybody that brought me there. I was just um, I dragged my dad along to, it and he'd take me out, and then I'd bring my friends out there. But a lot of my friends from school and stuff like that, they got into it for a little bit, but then um, they just kind of faded out and just did their own thing. And um, so a lot of my friends actually came from drift, just from me being out there. So. Um, there was, I never really had anybody that kind of like pushed me into or, or really followed me. I was, I was pretty much a loner for the first years that I used to go out there. You know, me and my dad would just sit in the stands watching drift and I'd drag him out, you know, in the rain and everything. Just, we just sit there watching drift and, <laughs> and, uh, I didn't have any friends out there. You know, like I said, every now and then when we got licensed, I'd drag my friends out and they'd come every now and then. But I like going to all the practices and everything and, my friends only like going to the, you know, the big events every now and then. So it just developed from that. Like I, I got my, 
I saved up since I was um, about 11 or 12, just doing paper rounds and, you know, everything, just, just saving the money I could get so I could buy my first car. And um, it turned out to be a 32. I was looking at a lot of different cars, you know, a lot of non-drift cars, you know, like, you know, not necessarily, but like two 260Zs and some older cars and even 300ZXs and, um, and I ended up getting a, I ended up getting a 30, 32 originally. So basically I was kind of looking to cars as 180s and everything coming up. And this was when, uh, import regulations had kind of changed. So I had to get a car then and there. So I wanted to import a car from Japan. Um, and I was about 15 at the time. So started the process and then, uh, realized I get Sephiros and Laurels and, and then I you know, saw R32 four-doors and I'm like, fuck yeah, like these are sweet. I'd seen them on all the DVDs and stuff and I'm, it's basically whatever comes up next, whatever's eligible under the last of these rules that can be brought in you know, fairly cheaply, I'll grab. And it's just this 32 four-door that was just sitting there. You know, it wasn't the best condition, but it was all right. And so <laughs> clicked on it, you know, organized it, brought it in. Like I said, you know, I didn't have my license when I brought it in. Um you know, had no idea what I was doing, but I, you know, I'd saved saved up enough money just to get it in. Just got it through compliance to go onto the roads. Um, it was my pride and joy. Didn't have enough money to in, to uh, to insure it properly. You know, so obviously I had you know third party coverage, but it was all my money that I'd been saving for the last year was in this car. Was it a and a GTR if I crashed or it, was it a, a no? It was a it was a, a four door GDST. So it was RB twenty. Yeah. Um, and, um, so yeah, so that was my first car and that's the car which I became kind of known for and I still have it to this day. Um, but I think one of the mis- uh, misconceptions people always used to say I didn't respect that car, but I think if people that know me know where that ca- car came from I and mean, that was my, that was my pride and joy, my everything. I mean, it's the, like, like I said, I'd say for years and years for that car and, Every single little bit of money I, I had, I poured into that car. You know, me and my old man built it from ground up, just doing everything, you know, the amount of hours and everything involved. And, uh, um, like that was my world. That car was my world. And I think when people, um, you know, we even freshly repainted it, uh, while I was drifting, you know, um, before it got too damaged. <laughs> and, too damaged. um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, I think it was this thing like, uh, you know, I got a lot of flack for it. It's like, oh, you don't respect your car and all this stuff. I'm like, I mean, how many of you guys, you, do, do you know that like if, you know, had this had your first car and had it since day dot, you've kept it for years and years and years, you know, like I think for me, I had a, I've still got a crazy attachment to that car and always have. But what I realized that after a while was the enjoyment, like a lot of the my attachment with that car was the enjoyment I used to get out of it whether it's driving to the hills with mates or, you know, going out and doing street street originally in it or, you know, a lot of the shit I learned, a lot of the friendships I made were out at practice days with that car. Um, A lot of mates I made, I made tons of mates just driving with people. And so I realized after a while, I'm like, I get it. Like I want to keep this car clean, but more important to anything is the like, it's the memories that this car has brought me. So, going out and thrashing hard and learning and stuff like that, that ultimately meant like, that's why that car meant so much to me. It wasn't because like people would like it. Like I, just because I drove down the road and, and people would look at it, you know, that's not what was appealing. 
Like, and I think that's the big differential. I got a lot of mates which will say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I love my car," but they love what it gets them. They love the attention it gets them. Um, I think, I think really loving your car is saying, "Ah, fuck it, it looks a little bit like shit," but I, I love this thing to death, and I'll never sell, I'll never reshell, I'll keep this car, even if it looks like a piece of shit. I love this car, like the memories and everything that I've gone through with this car. And so that car is super important to me, but that's how I got into everything. I mean, that got me, that car got me started in drift that, you know, it, it, it was, you know, part of the way, you know, I, I, you know, I met a lot of people and shit. So for me, that car was super important. So, yeah. What was the, like, um, it's, I'm, I'm fascinated how passionate you are about this car. It's, it's amazing to hear you talk uh, about it. And, and uh, like, you were trying to keep it clean at first, uh, I would imagine. And, and uh, what was the, the first, like, drift experience that you had? How, how did the, the first drift event go for you? Well, so, I mean, like I said, I started on the street. So, um, it was... You know, I had a few kind of minor incidents in the hills, <laughs> hills as, you'd, as you'd say. Um, but uh, yeah, I was shit first time I went out. I was, I was, I was scared. I was, I was everything. You know, like, um, you know, like the main corner. It's a third gear, third or fourth gear corner, and uh, I was staying in second. You know, like the, it was, it was one of those things. You know, I went from street where you know, I barely touched third for drifting, at least not for you know, not other stuff, but for you know most of the stuff I did was second and then go onto the track and just be like fuck this is what actual you know this is this is what you know like you really have to man up and and I mean I was scared as shit man like I <laughs> I was nervous and like fuck going up to 100 and something because you got to enter you got to enter at 150k an hour to really link that corner um not really but like 120 130 140 um and I was like man this is this is daunting. So, I mean, like, like anybody, I was, um, I definitely wasn't, uh, good straight out of the gate, but I had no, ma- I had no mates to tell me what to do. I mean, I went into blind, I went to drift completely without any friends. Um, like I said, like every now and then a few of my mates from school, they got drift cars and like, sometimes they come out to practice days with me. Um, but they knew even less than I did. So we were a bunch of idiots that went out. I had no mates within the drift scene. Um, <laughs> we, we go out there, like I had no idea, like that nobody would get, be able to give me tips and stuff. And, uh, like after a few years, like you, you, you get friends there and you know, that the people would tell you and give you some hints here and there. But yeah, I was pretty useless when I, when I first went out there. Um, but, uh, but it was yeah daunting as shit. <laughs> really yeah and and uh, especially I, in, especially in a, especially in a car like i said which like i had um i had about 12,000 australian in that car um which i mean doesn't seem like a lot now but for a kid i mean to save up that kind of money for your first car and then to every time you go out you're putting that on the line every single corner you're putting that on the line it was it's pretty daunting but yeah i mean it was um it was good pressure to 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 learn and stuff. Uh, and I know because I've talked to you uh, somewhat um, uh, about this before, and, and I know that you had this car, you wanted to keep it clean, as you said, uh, in the beginning, and everyone thought that, that you would keep it clean. Like, what was the first time that you, 
well, let's say, what was the first time that you said, oh, well, now I fucked it, so I might as well just go full out on it. Like, it's not going to um, be a show car anymore. There was, there's two main incidents. So, um, uh, one of them I actually put up on Inertia MS. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a video of it around where, so the first one, both were after I'd cleaned it up. So I'd um, properly, we, we spent, me and my old man spent, God, I don't know how many hours, a lot of hours. We did everything, you know, we um, did a bunch of body work to it as well. And um, it was basically what was happening was um, on the entry to, to Malala, most you usually do a scando to get in, like a like a mungi, as a lot of people not, but a scando is more just a one this way or the other way, and um, and so I'd been pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, and like I was running stock lock at the time and everything, and and what was happening is I I, I as on the scando itself I'd I'd hit lock stops and I'd just be able to pull it back before, and there's tire stacks that would line the track on the entry. And um, and I, I was it, I just kept pushing it and pushing and pushing it and trying to hit lock stops just before, and um, like knuckle like you could get knuckles and stuff at that point. Um, but a they're like you know fairly expensive, but b um, at even by that point I'd realised that um putting these little challenges in and making the car um you know not too easy. Like even at that point I wasn't putting power into the car. I was making sure I kept the power uh, fairly standard. I was trying to keep things that would challenge me and, and really improve my skill. Cause I'd seen, even at that point I'd seen too many of my friends or too many other, other people upgrade way too early, um, make the car too easy to drive. Um, and so I was like, no, nah, I'm staying with stock knuckles. I'm going to make it so, you know, I'm never spinning out. Like I always say to people when they talk about going knuckles, they say, oh, I'm spinning out. I need to go knuckles. I always say, no, you need to go knuckles once you stop spinning out. Like once you've actually mastered it and once you're actually at a point where you no longer spin, that tells you when you're ready to progress to knuckles. And so even like when I was young, like I was like, yep, that's the way to do it. So I just I held off and I held off. Um, but I kept trying harder and harder to the point where I was pretty much hitting lock stops every single time. And you'd be, I'd be at lock stops facing these tie stacks. <laughs> I just remember one time, it was at a, it was at a competition actually, <laughs> and I just didn't come back. Just didn't come back in time. <laughs> I went plow through the tie bundles. Um, it wasn't too bad actually. Like it, it just it um, ripped the front bar off, cracked a few little things, but it wasn't actually too bad because I went head in. Um, that was the first time I really did proper kind of something to the car like a proper you know like it's you know some damage to the car um but uh you know like when we painted the car we said to my, uh, said to my man i said you know this is what's going to happen to this car and he said yep and but we kind of always knew that you know it was inevitable that it was going to happen um and so went through that that was the kind of start of it but i'd say it was the one which i put up on um uh, inertia ms was Really, where I went in, same same thing happened. Exactly same thing happened, but I can't remember. I think I I just overcooked it even harder. And this time I went in sideways into the tire stacks, and that they just 
dented every single pa- um, panel on the driver's side. Ooh. <laughs> so I'd been so before that I had been slapping the tires a little bit on the on the, I'd be tapping the tires. So between me plowing through the first time and then that kind of loosened me up and I was like, all right, sweet. So I started tapping the tires after that and just kind of you know small little taps. So it started getting a little bit ghetto, but until I went through it sideways, um, that's when it dented every single panel along there. Um, I still drove it on the street after that for a little bit. Um, but it was sketchy. I even went through um, what is essentially um, car inspection with it like that. So in, in Australia, you don't – well, sorry, in South Australia where I'm from, you don't get you don't get a, like a, a yearly registration che- or inspection check. You get um, you get either defected and they'll say, no, nah, your car's not really worth so you got to go through. So I'd been defected on the road, you know, I, a million times. And um, – <laughs> And actually, I'd, yeah, so I've been defected and I, I'm like, screw this, I'm getting it off because I know from now on, if I if I go any further, there's no way I'm getting this thing off um, defect. So the car was still, you know, it was drifts back and everything like that, but I, I pulled it back to standard and I'm like, after this, I can never pull this car back to standard. And so I pulled it back to close enough to standard, took it through Regency. They laughed at me. Regency, sorry, is the inspection um, place. They laughed at me. Um, cause the car, they could, they knew the car, like one of the guys in there had seen me out drift. Like he knew, I, he knew me and he'd been out to drift events and seen me out drifting in competitions in that car. <laughs> and so they just laughed and they're like, whatever, but they couldn't find anything. Um, they're like, yep, sweet. It's, it's road legal. It looks like shit, but it's road legal. <laughs> um, so they passed me and, uh, I, I, I drove it a bit on the road after that, but it, it, it went, Pretty much after that point was when I just started doing dumb modifications to it where I'm like, eh, this is a track car now. Um, but it's still it's still walking registration right now. I can literally put plates on that car. and walk. I mean, I'd probably last two minutes on the road until they defect me. But, um, but yeah, so uh, that, that was the point where I'm like, eh, all right, sweet. This is a track car now. Um, and, uh, and it's funny because I had been driving the car to and from events at that stage. Um, and I'd been defected a few times just driving away from the event. But the first event, we were like, all right, it's a track car now. Um, we we got a car. Well, we didn't get a car trailer. We converted a boat trailer, which we were, which we were using. Like we'd have to basically we'd hoist a boat off of the trailer. We put a few attachments on. And then when we put a car on it, and so we started going out to the track, I started towing out. The first time I took the car trailer out, I ripped the subframe out just from a, um, uh, just from uh, the edge of the track, just ripped the subframe out. So from that point, I was like, all right, sweet. So it was always trailered out there, and it was always um, it was always pure dedicated track car from that point on. So if you are a non-Swedish speaker. Uh, just hang on for about 30 seconds. I'm going to read an ad and then we'll get back to the show. Radio Power bygger och servrar många av Sveriges absolut bästa tävlingsbilar och gatbilar. Och som generalagent för bland annat Mishimoto's racingkylare och K-Sport Racing sortiment med coilovers, bromskit och luftfjädring kan Radio Power leverera allt du behöver för att lyckas med ditt bygge. De har också specialiserat sig på tävlingsburar för både time attack, drifting men nu även rally. 
Så vare sig du behöver bygga en bur till din racebil eller sänka din daily driver så kan Radio Power leverera allt från bolt-on kits till skräddarsydda arbeten. Ett stort tack till Radio Power som hjälper oss att fortsätta göra det vi gör. All right, uh, that, that's uh, yeah, that, that's an in- interesting view you had on it, and, and I like that you you actually got over that that uh, point of no return. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think like I said before, I mean, obviously, I always wanted to be clean. I love driving the car on the street, and I still miss it um, driving the car on the street. But um, I think it's one of those things you get that bug, and you kind of realize, ah, this is what I really enjoy. Like, obviously, I enjoy driving on the street. I loved it looking nice and clean. I mean, um, there are pictures around of it when it used to used to be a beautiful street car. But you got to prioritize, man. Like at the end of the day, like for me track time was so critical. Like I think a lot of people talk about driving and stuff like that. Like the extent I would go to, I mean, like to give you an example, um, when I first started out, I started drifting with the Viscous LSD, which was kind of sketchy. Everybody told me not to do it, but I started out cause I couldn't afford a two way. Um, and then it got to a point where the car was still a street car, but, um, I would always prioritize either modifications or track time. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And so obviously, I, like for something I used for the street and track, the obvious choice was a two-way diff. But I was like, man, a two-way diff. Back then, it was like $800, $900. I'm like, man, that's like three or four track days for me. So instead, I got a spare diff. We welded it up. And then I couldn't really use it on the street for where for what I was using it for. Like we, you know, um, but I would literally between each track day, which I try and do like two a month or something like that, we'd literally put the car up, take the diff out, put the lock diff in, go to the do the track day, maybe do a little bit of street on the side um, as well while I've got it in there. And then we take it out, put a viscous in and then drive it around for a bit. So every few weeks I'd be switching that diff over just because I, just so I could get more track time. Um, it was so critical to, um, to me just to be out there and, and enjoying it. So 
for me, it was always like, you know, money spent on cosmetics or, or time doing this was always track time for me. It was always, okay, that's fine, but how, how, how much track time does that, is that going to cost me? And if anything would cost me track time, it was like, no, nah, not doing it. You know, whether, oh, okay, uh, you know, I have to do mechanicals on the car. It's like, all right, so I do the mechanicals, no time to do cosmetics. So it was either go out to the track that, um, that weekend or sit there doing cosmetics. And I got so many mates. I mean, pretty much all my mates would miss out on track days because they are, oh, I can't, do, I can't afford this, can't afford that. And then I'd see them buying, you know, really nice wheels for their cars or, or, you know, um, new guards and stuff. I'm like, well, that's cool. That's everybody's got their choice. But it was like, for me, it was like, I'm just going to say fuck that to all that. Cause I mean, I was a full, I was a full time student at that stage, you know, man. I, I had bugger all money coming. I'm like, man, track time. That's just critical. Everything else is below that, you know, wheels and um, even tires. I used to go out, you know, I used to get scrap tires for free. And that's what I go out on. You know, everything was always maximum track time, minimal, you know, extras. Um, and that's just what it was for me. That was just my priority. And everybody's different. Like everybody has their own kind of thing to get out of drift. But for me, it's always been just getting out on the track and just being out there and, and driving. So it's, I, I sacrificed a lot for it, but it was, you know, it was worth it for me. And, and, uh, I'm guessing that, uh, there weren't a, a whole lot of nights out and burgers and, and movies. So, so I, I guess that you, you really prioritized quickly and, and, What was the point where you felt that? What was like the next step for you? You you have done a couple of track days and and you were getting better and better and and have you had you at that point been uh, been competing a lot or what was your results there? So like I mean I got into drift like a lot of people with um kind of the mindset of you know competition is where you go so you know you start with practicing and stuff and. And a lot of ways, you're essentially building a skill just to go and compete. Um, but at the same time, I come from skate background, you know, or, uh, skating, BMX, um, you know, wakeboarding and uh, snow, and, and like I, I'd, I'd done a lot of action sports. Um, so, and it was always for me, it was always the freestyle freestyle side. I liked. I never really did competitions in any of those sports. I always liked just going out there with mates and thrashing, but. Getting into drift, like it was even even the way I was driving and stuff, it was always this idea of going into competition. Um, and so I started doing competition and, and uh, I realized, like I kind of enjoyed it, but like kind of realized it just wasn't really, I didn't really enjoy it that much. I really didn't. Um, I mean, part of it was, you know, um, it almost seemed pointless at certain Times because you know you're, I was going out there um, on scrap tires um, with you know stock power against, and, and part of the problem was like as, you know in, in G1, which is where I started. You know they'd have two categories, and um, and so if you if you qualified well within like top sixteen, you'd be in the group one. If you qualify in the bottom sixteen, you'd be in group two. And in Group Two and in the lower side of things, there were a lot of like similar cars to mine and a lot of stock stockish cars to mine. Um, but I was qualifying in the top group, and so I go pull into into my battle, you know, form up, and and I 
and I'd be surrounded by all these top level high spec cars with, you know, double, triple, four times the amount of power with, you know, big semi slicks on. And I'm sitting there in my, my daily, my daily driver <laughs> in, in, uh, on scrappies. And I'm like, so I qualify well, but what, what chance do I have now? Especially at Malab because there's a straight in the middle of the track. Like you drift and there's a straight and you race to that corner and then you drift again. And so it was like, it was, it was kind of, you know, and I just, the other part was like, even if I'd, I'd see, even if I won a battle, like if I won a battle on my own merit, sweet, but often I'd, uh, you know, every now and then I'd win a battle because the other guy spun out. I was like, I, I understand that he, he screwed up, but it's not like I drove really well. And I was like, I didn't, the whole dynamic never really made sense to me. Like, like for me, with like I just I can if I go and do a good uh, if I go and drive well, I'll be like I went and drive well. Like I just can like I'm I'm happy that I did. I'll still be critical of myself. But then what was happening in competition is I realized a lot of time if you won a competition or you lost a competition, it was actually not always and pretty rarely based on your own merit of your driving. A lot of time it was the car you're in, um, and I've been on both sides of the fence now especially, but it was often you were – it wasn't the merit of your driving that, that really won you that. It was often either a default decision, mistakes, um, or the criteria, like the judges would – you know, the criteria they were after wasn't exactly what I would – you know, didn't suit your style. And I was just – after a while, I didn't have a – this isn't talking down a competition – because there's definitely a space for it. But I just, after a while, I realized this is not where I want to be. Like, um, even after being, you know, doing well in, in competition. I mean, uh, I did well and I was like, but I just, I was like, this isn't really important to me. And after a while, I realized, I realized there is space for going out. And I just really enjoyed driving with mates and, and really pushing myself. Because I found when I was doing competition, you know, the idea was essentially pulling back and being more conservative. And I'm like, hang on. I thought like, you know, so I go to these competitions and I'm driving at 80%, 90% and that's what they want to see. Um, but then I go out to practice and I drive 100 110%. And I'll be doing better driving. I'll be progressing myself more. I'll be having more fun because I'm scaring myself more. Um, why do I keep doing competition? And this thing, in, I think a lot of people have this in the back of their head is this kind of, it's, just, it's in the culture of, you go do competition. That's part of it. And it's, I think it's a big, it's, it's very hard to just say, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to go against that and just do my own thing and, and, and enjoy what I enjoy and, and choose, choose what I do based on my, on what I actually enjoy and not based on what everybody is kind of naturally pushing towards and, and, and progressing towards. And, um, that's where I just, I, I saw the freestyle side of things and, and to be fair, like when, when I was talking about when I when I grew up, I was watching DVDs. One of the first uh, events I uh, saw on the DVD, which I really liked, was was this uh, thing called uh, Ebusu Matsuri. And so that was one of the, I just I like that. I, I saw competitions, but I really liked the idea of this freestyle thing where you know these cars kind of went and um, and going back to that 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 clip, there was this there was this guy in this. Um, in this, uh, I think it was like a 180SX and it was essentially a practice car. It was no frills, um, interior had been stripped. It was essentially like a battle car. 
And um, the guy was going out and just killing it. And there was D1 drivers there with their cars and stuff. This guy was just killing it in like a real low budget. And I just remember that. I still remember that video and I still watch it every now and then and just thinking, ah, like freestyle kind of guy going out there, underdog thrashing it and whatever and stuff. And I just think, I just realized that's kind of what I like, you know, just, you know, nothing against the competition stuff, but I enjoy that stuff. Like that's where I wanted to be. And so I just started doing that and I went away from competition for a while there and nothing against competition in general. I think the competitions that were in South Australia, especially at that point, pretty ordinary uh, i even judged them by the way like uh like uh especially after i stopped driving i would go and, and judge them and sitting in the tower actually gave me more insight and, and actually made me want to do competition even less because i realized i realized at that point that like the process of judging for a lot of people um, I mean, I get I get caught up last moment and come in there and it was like nobody really wanted to be there. Just like everyone was just kind of, oh, let's get them through. Let's get, and then at the end, there'd be a bunch of people coming up and abusing you. And I thought like this is it's just not a nice place to be. Um, and so I just I kind of went cold turkey on, on, uh, on competition for a while. Um, the only thing I kind of really like – really ever came back to was just like a national thing. And that was just for shits and gigs really just to, cause I kind of, I mean, obviously I've always had an opinion on shit. So when the national, when the national uh, championship kind of appeared, like a, the, the latest one, I kind of said, um, ADGP by the way. So when that first came out, you know, I was talking to the organizer said, look, man, you know, this, 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 and I gave him my two cents and, um, and he basically kind of said to me, Oh, you know, such such. If you know, or rather, you should bring your car. And uh, my that was a thirty-two. It was pretty scrappy at that stage. And I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll come then. <laughs> and I think I think he was like, ah, oh, shit, because because he knew like he, he, the car wouldn't usually get kind of he wouldn't usually allow it, but he kind of challenged me out of spite and uh, and kind of ego. And so, <laughs> um, so I got to drive that, and um, uh, I did fairly well and stuff like that. So. Um, I just kind of did that for, for shits and gigs really like it. I just thought it'd be funny to have, have that car on a national scale going up against all these, uh, high end cars. But, um, um, but yeah, besides I kind of went, I kind of went cold Turkey on it all and, and not for any, you know, reason of, of anything. I just, I was having heaps of fun, like uh, around that time, you know, the, the freestyle stuff started coming in, more people started, uh, driving hard and, and wanting to drive hard. And so uh, I didn't need to. I didn't need to go to competition. I was having so much fun. Um, and then, and then uh, another semi-national competition, but like on a low, much lower scale than AGP, kind of came called Stadium Drift, and um, uh, that came with this this new tra- this new old testing facility uh, called Tail and Bend. It kind of opened up, and it wasn't really a track, but you could you could do layouts, and it was really cool. And Stadium Drift came, and um, I drove the first event. So unorganized, and and it was just like they only had one judge and everything. And, and after that, I said, you know what, I got to, you know, it's it's all good, it's all well and good to sit here and 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 say, oh, it should be this, should be that. But I'm just like, I got to do something, you know. I got to actually put my hand up. Otherwise, I'm just talking, you know. So I did get on board with that, and um, 
and I spent a lot of time reforming the judging. I just I changed a lot of things. Uh, we introduced a whole uh, bunch of things which now are commonplace in Australia, but weren't at the time. I mean, the, the way we do out of clip points, um, the criteria we're using, we cha- oh, like I changed it all up. The criteria became more focused on aggression and uh, and um, and and entertaining driving as opposed to being conservative. It was all about um, it was all about having a go. Like if you you know if if we set a really hard criteria, if you attempted the criteria and you did quite well and made small mistakes, it was better than not trying the criteria at all and, and going through easy. And we changed it up heaps. The driving we were getting out of there um, was really good. Um, we had this, you know, I'd always one-on-one feedback with the drivers. We'd always, uh, I, and so we, we had heaps of really entertaining, exciting driving coming out of this competition. And um, and I realized at that point, it's like, oh, yeah, actually, no, competition can be really good. It's just you've got to have judges which respect what they're doing and have a very clear idea of what they're doing. Um, and And for me, I was like, I realized that, you know, you can actually make drivers push harder and do things they would never do. And you can actually, you can actually make them push harder in competition than they do in, in practice. And I, and I realized that competition actually has a really important part, part to play, but it's about having guys which are really truly about making entertaining driving that really understand about, about all that and not just, not just rewarding, boring, driving that's you know that's just clean for the sake of being clean and then um you know it all being about the car i mean if you set out layouts which which bring the cars in i mean we we would have guys i'm not even kidding you like near thousand horsepower um cars competing against stock 4h um k70 corollas i'm not even kidding you and the thousand horsepower car couldn't keep up <laughs> with with the car, it was the way we set out the criteria, the layouts. I mean, we, we didn't allow that advantage of 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 driving away. I mean, we put in tire regulations, um, but even then, like it, the, they weren't even that crazy. They were just no semi slicks and stuff like that. So they were still running on like two six five um, cheap tires, you know, like um, but but versus guys on little K seventies and stuff, and the K seventies were pulling away through the corners. It was insane, um, but people were dr- being judged on their own merit of how they drive, and they were being judged for for actually attempting the tough criteria. You know, they'd have to like it didn't it didn't matter if you had a clean run behind somebody if you were a car length or two car lengths away. You had to be on that person's door. Now, if you're on that person's door and you made a little mistake, eh, you get penalised a little bit, but nowhere near as penalised as if you weren't anywhere near that car. And so that's where we made the difference. Obviously, if you're if you're really aggressive and really clean, you get the most points. But if you were not aggressive, if you didn't go for the really wide clipping points and you didn't go in hard, you didn't snap with a lot of angle and entry. If you didn't do all that stuff, you'd get. You, it didn't matter how clean you were. It just doesn't matter because you're not trying something hard. If you if you're attempting something low difficulty and pulling it off clean, it doesn't matter. You're not showing any skill. People, we would reward people that would try for the high difficulty and then uh and then if they made small errors then so be it it's better than than not trying at all and so i don't have anything against competition but that's after we started doing that i started doing dca again uh sorry dca came along drift challenge australia um 
So that was really cool. Um, that really focused on a lot of things we were doing at Stadium Drift, but on a much more national level, uh, way better promoted. Um, uh, that was with Luke Fink uh, behind the wheel of that. And um, I got on board again, so I started doing competition again, and I really enjoyed I really enjoyed doing that. So I'm kind of between a lot of things, like, um, like uh, I think a lot of people kind of associate me with like missiles and freestyle and stuff like that, uh, which is – you know, which is what a lot of what a lot of what I do. Um, but at the same time, man, I love going out and and, and skidding a, my, a you know my style car, which is essentially just you know, my Lowell dropped on its guts. And I like having good looking cars and going out and drifting them as well. I like doing the competition side of things as long as the competition um, uh, is the right competition for me. Like I, I, I like it when it's it's fun. Like I always say, I always say for me, I'll, I'll go to a competition if I know that I can go to that competition and I can do really badly or or my car screws up or anything bad happen and I get kicked out of the competition and still enjoy the, the weekend. If I can have that, then that's a good event for me and that's the competition I want to be a part of. If it's going to be the kind of thing where, you know, you can't go thrash at the end or you, you're not surrounded by your relaxed people and, and good vibes and stuff like that, I'd rather just not do it. Like not you know nothing against it, but it's just it's not my kind of thing. You know, I like the idea of eh, if I do shit, oh well, who cares? You you're in good company. Um, you're still going to have heaps of fun. Um, so I'm all over the shop now, but definitely there was that period where I was just freestyle and um, strictly just eh, I'm not really into competitions. So yeah, and and. I'm just sitting. I'm I'm just uh, just uh, enjoying this time. I'm sitting here smiling, listening to <laughs> listening to you because you're you're so passionate about this, and and um, you make me think a lot about how we view drifting over here, and in, in especially in in our country, Sweden, and and then uh, the U.S. and and oh well, the other European countries as well, and and talking about the pushing of drivers, pushing of the sport, and you're saying that you're pushing more in practice than you are in the actual competitions. And, and and that's what the promoters of the sports are saying. Like, oh yeah, we're pushing the drivers more and more every year and they're giving their all and everything. And you're just, you're saying the opposite, that they're not giving their all because they're they're only doing 80-90% because they have to win. Uh, they have they have to drive in a certain way. And it's interesting that you've now taken it to changing the format of judging in Australia and, and working towards making the sport a little bit different in, in your part of the world. And then also the thing about when you're talking about skating and the freestyle thing, is I grew up uh, skating and doing action sports and I can relate a lot of things to just getting out there and just do whatever you want just because you want to have fun. People always talk about having fun while they're drifting and I want I only want to do this because I think it's fun. And and the thing there is that like yeah, but motorsports is mostly competition focused. So people forget about just getting out there and enjoying the the sensation of drifting and or enjoying the the company of your friends talking smack in the pits and and i think that this really gives it a nice view you explained it very well yeah i think i think um um 
look, I, I, when I, sorry, when I say how I push in practice, I don't think, yeah, so I'll, so I'll go, I'll go through, uh, through all that. Um, with, with the pushing in practice thing. So, um, that's what I, that's what I do and a lot of my mates do. I don't necessarily think that's what everybody does. Um, I think, I think some people do push harder in competition than they do in practice. Um, but I think that's often because for them, competition is the, uh, is the pinnacle for them. Um, so for them, you know, like a lot of them in practice away from it, it's kind of like testing and, and just kind of this and that. Um, whereas, uh, for me, practice or freestyle or whatever, that's the main event for me. So I'm pushing hard essentially because I want to, that I'm really enjoying that. Um, and then I'm toning it down in, in, in competition, um, a little bit, not all of, I've, I've, but I, I, th- I think a lot of people, um, might be listening and thinking, oh yeah, but no, I, I push hard in competition. I do that. And a lot of people probably do. Like I think, um, can't take away from the, you know, certain people. I mean, I actually, I, when I, uh, judged in, uh, in Victoria, um, uh, I had this guy come up to me, um, a, a really good mate to them now, actually, I, uh, me and him were going toe to toe for the uh, the um, championship last year, like for first and second for uh, DCA, um, and uh, really good, really good guy, like really nice guy. And um, but he came up to me years ago when I judged a competition in Victoria, where where he's from, and he came up to me and he said, "Fuck, I hate you, man." He said, "He said you made me scare the shit out of myself. You made me push, um, made me push really hard." Um, you know, harder than I, harder than I, than I ever go here. And I just remember th- thinking that's exactly what I, that's ex- like, that's such good compliment to me really. Cause, um, he, you know, like, cause I think cause I asked, asked so much and I just, I, I'm pretty ruthless when I, in briefings and say, you know what, <laughs> if you're not going to be aggressive, you're not going to actually drive hard and push really hard. You may as well go home because I'm going to, you're not going to get much from me. And, uh, and he went out there and he nailed his run, like his qualifying run, absolutely nailed it. Um, and it's on a course, which is pretty, which writes off a lot of cards. It's got a concrete wall, um, that you've got to be up against and ride along. Um, kind of like we see in America with the, the banks and stuff. And he just, nailed the run, huge entry, perfect line up on the wall and qualified first. Now, I don't know how well he'd been doing at that stage in general, but um, I think it might have been the first time he qualified first, but he pushed himself so hard. And I thought that was cool um, that he'd, um, he'd said, fuck it, i gotta, I got to do something now. And so he went out there and just nailed it. And that was really cool. So I, I think everybody's different. Um, like I, I've started trying to, uh, I've started pushing harder in in competition and stuff, and uh, I'm just not very like you know, like for me, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I push so hard in practice, push so hard in freestyle. Um, it's I kind of have to go backwards a little bit in competition. I still push really hard, but when you always at 110, percent um, you can only really go back a little bit, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas I think a lot, I think a lot of people are, are different. A lot of people go out there, especially with competition, 
as uh, primary, you know, f- for them, like they go out and they do a lot of, they're practicing a lot of like testing and stuff like that. And they're just kind of just getting, you know, getting things right and stuff. And then in competition, they do tend to push harder or, or whatever. But I think if you're not used to pushing at 110%, like all the time, I mean, I mean, whenever I go into a competition, you know, I've probably just spent the last few months just driving freestyle stuff like at 110. So when I get to a competition, like, um, it makes it a lot easier to drive at a hundred percent or, I mean, to be honest, most of the time, all I'm trying to do is overcome a raging hangover because every <laughs> single competition I've done <laughs> that I can remember, I've either had zero sleep, uh, or zero sleep, oh, sorry, I've either been hungover or zero sleep and hungover and something like I'm just always we always get to these like competitions and there's always partying going on and stuff. And that's what I like. I like the stuff that goes around the competitions. So for me, (laughs) I'll always, you know, I feel like it's a wasted event if I go there and I don't go out and hang out with mates and, and talk shit. And so I'm always up late and I'm always, always the last one to go to bed hungover as sin. And so I I get up and I'm just like, Oh, and then so a lot of time it's just me kind of overcoming that. (laughs) Um, um, but um, but yeah, I think I think you know p- people people are different in the way they take it. It's just how I do it. Um, but yeah, so with the um, yeah, with the skating and, and the BMX parallel, it's funny actually because um, I put up a poll a while ago just to kind of like see a bunch of the freestyle guys and kind of you know see what they were, what kind of background they came from, and pretty much everybody that were, was in this kind of like freestyle. Uh, that would that did freestyle drift. Um, most like said they came from a like action sport background in BMX, mostly BMX, but skating or, or something. Um, where where so it it seemed to be a lot of people bringing that kind of attitude in of, of how that was, and I think yeah, drift is a motorsport. I get that, you know. Um, but there's a lot of parallels with the action sports more than the the motorsports. You've listened to part one of two of the Stewie Bryan podcast. So make sure you check out the second part on onroaders.com slash podcast or in your podcast app. And thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.